Um, can y'all hear me okay? Hi, it's good to see y'all. Um, I am Kate. I'm an artist and therapist, and I think I know most of y'all. Um, I lived in Washington for about six years, and I moved up here for grad school and just never left. Um, the thing about Texas, um, where I'm from, is that, at least in Dallas, it feels really landlocked, so I just fell in love with um, the water and the mountains and really good friends. Um, and yeah, just never wanted to leave. Um, I'm really excited about today. I get to talk about one of my favorite things, which is rage. Um, as a therapist, it's some, it's probably one of the uh, emotions or expression of emotions that um, is really scary for people. So I always get, this is weird to say, but I always get kind of excited when I'm like, I think my client is angry because then I get to be like, okay, let's create this safe space so that they can finally begin to experience that in a safe way because that's not always probably felt safe for them. So we're going to start off with a clip from an interview with Anna Taylor-Joy, and she was doing press for her movie, um, The Menu, and this is what she had to say about feminine rage. I have a thing about feminine rage, which people think, um, for some reason, and this is no, you know, with no disrespect to any writer, I get a lot of like men doing really terrible things and women sitting silently whilst like one tear like slowly falls, and I'm like, oh no 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 no, we get mad and angry, and I remember like pulling Mark aside and saying, I'm really sorry, but the only way to play this truthfully is for me to like attack him and he's like oh you mean like this and i was like no no no, no. like i'm gonna and uh luckily everyone liked it and nick game and i <laughs> that scene randomly where she attacks him in the movie randomly came up on my instagram reel feed and i was like oh my god yeah she really does attack him in the movie um so two weeks ago, Devin was talking about ways in which women have been oppressed with scripture and in the church in general. And I don't think I've been that mad in church for a while. Um, and I could just feel all this anger bursting inside of me. And um, during the communion reflection time, um, I went to light a candle, which I have never done here. Um, and I could just feel just all that anger. I'm like, I need to go do something with that that feels productive and um, put that somewhere. And as I was lighting the candle, I was like, I'm lighting this for all of you, for all the women who have been harmed. Um, and I think I probably needed a bonfire or a forest fire, <laughs> um, but the candle, the candle did, the candle was fine. Um, candle was a symbol of that good rage and it felt really important to express that inside a church building it felt very healing for me because I knew that it would be welcome here and it's also a really appropriate feeling for the subject matter if I'm not angry at how the churches have oppressed women and still are oppressing women um, I'm not paying attention there's a really beautiful piece of God or the divine that I've been exploring the past few years, and some people name the divine, that the, the divine feminine. Um, 
Um, Richard Rohr writes that today on many levels, we are witnessing an immense longing for the mature feminine at every level of our society, from our politics to our economics, in our psyche, our cultures, our pattern of leadership, and our theologies, all of which have be become too, far too warlike, competitive, mechanistic, and non-contemplative. We are terribly imbalanced. Like Christ's mystery itself, the deep feminine often works underground and in mysterious ways, and from that position, it creates a much more intoxicating message. While church and culture have often denied women roles, offices, and formal authority, the divine feminine has continued to exercise incredible power at the cosmic and personal levels. Feminine power is deeply relational and thus transformative, bringing new life from both the womb and symbolic tombs where you have locked it away, locked away our hurt and pain. And I would also add here that I feel like um, as much as I love Richard Rohr, I would also add there is a warrior aspect to the divine feminine. There is a intensity and fury, like Anna Taylor Joy was talking about, of like, oh no, it's not this like silent, internalized anger. When we get mad, there is a embodied like rage that is beautiful and appropriate, um, and. Part of the wholeness of the divine feminine is that uh, that doesn't get explored as much is that anger. Karen Carlson uh, writes that feminine rage is distinct from anger. Feminine rage can be felt by anyone. It's the body-mind's response to injustice. General anger is a signal that a boundary has been crossed. Feminine rage is the specific boundary violation of social injustice. So I grew up in Texas, um, deeply entrenched in Southern evangelical culture, where a woman's anger was never really appropriate or invited. Um, she could be labeled loud, hysterical, emotionally unstable. People would say that really politely because, you know, we're from the South, so we're like, oh, geez, something is going on for her. Something is happening. Bless her heart. Yeah. Um, like... Yeah, it was never something that was like, let's, and I don't want to say never, I don't want to be too, I'm sure there were spaces where that was acceptable, um, but at least from my viewpoint as a kid, it was like, anger as a woman is not safe. Um, and I don't think I ever heard anyone speak about women in the Bible getting angry, um, even to speak of the lack of it shown in scripture. If they did, it was like, they're the villain. Um, so like, uh, uh, Jezebel, um, I'm trying to think of other, it just was never shown as something that was good or right. Um, and it wasn't talked about why, about why that would be culturally dangerous, um, for a woman to be angry and show it. So as a therapist, I'm constantly looking and listening to the undercurrent of stories. I'm like, where is their disconnection? Where is their disassociation? Um, where is someone telling a story, but they, there's no emotion attached to it? Um, Where's their silence? And it's fascinating for me that the Bible stories we tell that are centered around women usually get so thoroughly stripped of emotion where there would normally be some emotion. Um, and I'm not surprised given the, excuse me, the culture at the time um, and the mainly patriarchal lens which, with which the Bible has been translated and commented on. Um, 
but so many of the stories of the way women were presented to me was like their quiet, showed off their quiet grace and their servitude or how they were the villain. And occasionally like with Esther, it was like how their bravery is highlighted. Um, so where can we find the divine feminine or a divine feminine rage in those stories? One example that really stuck out to me as I started thinking about this was um, the story of Queen Vashti. She's the wife of King Xerxes, and she briefly appears in the book of Esther. Um, Vashti was summoned to the king's dinner party because she was beautiful to look at. She was an object. Um, this was after the king had spent several days, seven days, drinking and partying with people, and Vashti refused. Um, Biblical scholar Sidney White Crawford writes that Vashti's refusal to obey is shocking. The author has previously emphasized the power of the king, which does not evidently extend to his wife. Vashti's refusal challenges all gender expectations in the Persian Empire and in the Old Testament, in which wives are expected to obey their husbands. Her reason for refusal is unclear. The rabbis speculated that the king wished for her to appear naked before the assembled men wearing only her royal crown. That's not something that was shared with me when I was growing up and listening to the story of Esther. It was like, this is a love story. This, this really brave person, like, defi you know, defied cultural expectations, if that was said. Um, and th they fell in love with each other. Uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't ever explained to me. Um, as early as the 19th century, and this is from an article in Time magazine, her resistance to her husband's wish to use her as a sex object made her an icon for early feminists. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote in 1878 that Vashti's decision was a first stand for women's rights and that we shall stand amazed that there was a woman found at the head of the Persian Empire that dared to disobey the command even of a drunken monarch. About 20 years later, the Women's Bible Commentary put together by suffragist Elizabeth Cady Stanton called Vashti a sublime representative of self-centered womanhood who rises to the heights of self-consciousness and of self-respect. In Esther 1.12, we hear about her refusal, um, Vashti's refusal to show up to the banquet. Um, it says, but when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and then the king became furious and burned with anger. Even in one sentence, the one sentence we get about her refusal, I can imagine the fear and the rage in that one word. She's saying no to the king and to the entire Persian empire. Her no echoes not just for herself, but for all women in the empire who were ruled over and oppressed by that system. And that was the most likely reason, likely the main reason why she was removed from her position as queen. The advisors were afraid her refusal would cause the women of the kingdom to do something similar. It's really interesting looking at this story and thinking about how I read it and heard it and all the Bible studies that I did growing up around Esther and how I don't remember anybody really talking about Vashti. And yet I'm like, holy crap, this is like, I mean, the bravery in that is also astounding and staggering. Um, she, I always thought of her in a negative light. Like she said no to the king. She was this villain and the eventual love story between Esther and the king. 
Um, and I keep thinking, I don't know if any of y'all saw, um, it was like a movie a long time ago, not a long time ago, early 2000s, gosh, that feels like a really long time ago. Uh, it was called One Night with the King, and it's this like very romanticized version of Esther's story. Please don't watch it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't remember, but I feel like Vashti was also like the villain. Um, so it's really, it was really interesting for me to come back and be like, how did I view that story? Oh, I saw Vashti as a villain. Uh, Kimberly John Batista writes in an article for Esquire magazine called Beneath the Cool Girl Exterior, Why Female Rage Films Are All the Rage. When women get written with anger powerful enough to move the story, they are almost immediately villainized in the public eye. They imply that rage is an irrational emotion. Bitches be crazy, right? Well, crazy calls into question an angry woman's capability to make sound judgments, thus effectively silencing her. It's the easiest way to end an argument and excuse the offender from taking responsibility for their actions. Uh, yeah, this is why many women, many people who have been abused in the system don't say anything. Yeah. Um, and we're like, why didn't you speak up? Like, why didn't they say something? Um, fear is incredibly silencing. And we've seen enough examples of what happens to people when they speak truth. Um, and so it makes sense why a lot of people don't say anything. I've heard from so many women and men in my work as a therapist who have trouble owning or even feeling their anger, um, letting it flow, not simply burying it, um, or they smile through it. I don't know if you've seen anybody smile when they're angry, but it's absolutely terrifying. It's like, oh, I'm so effing angry at you. <laughs> and you're like, oh God, oh, okay. All right, okay, what's happening? Um, yeah, I'm furious right now. Okay, that's terrifying. Um, but for women, I think the smiling is protective. It's like, it, it, if I say no, or if I'm showing anger, that can be really dangerous. And so how do I protect myself? Well, I'm going to like, I'm gonna tell you that I'm really, Devin, I'm not mad at you. I'm gonna tell you that I'm really pissed off right now, but I'm mature and I can, you know, talk about how angry I am at you. I'm not. Um, <laughs> But how have we had to protect them? <laughs> I'm not angry. Uh, I'm not. Um, so I wanted to. I want to be curious. Like, how are we paying attention to the stories that we hear? How our faces are expressing anger? Um, are they humanized? Like, what lens are we seeing them from? Who are we celebrating? When you hear a story of harm being told, like what happens internally for you? So for me as a kid, Vashi was the villain. And then I realized who was in charge of telling her story when I grew up and why I felt like she was the villain of that story. And realizing that the Book of Esther is not a love story. It's a story of two women who were trapped in a system choosing to speak back against injustice in ways that could have cost them their lives. And for Vashti, it probably did. Rachel Held Evans wrote that we never learn of Vashti's fate. Many Midrashic interpretations suggest that she was formally executed. Others propose that she was killed by Xerxes in a, in a drunken rage. 
Still others less sympathetic to the plight of the pagan queen contend that Vashti grew a tail. Few suggest she met a happy end. Only recently have feminist interpretations reminded readers that it took the defiance of two queens to save the Jews, Esther by appearing before the king and Vashti by refusing to. So what's it look like to process anger and injustice inside of a church, especially for women, for a community to be a contained space to let that flow? And what does it look like to normalize this emotional experience? I think um, communion can be revisited as a space to do that, um, to allow the rage, feminine rage. Um, and I just want to say, like, I have a male therapist, and he embodies more mother qualities than I um, had experienced before. Like, that can be embodied by anyone, and it's a beautiful thing for those both to show up. It is a lovely thing for that tenderness and fierceness to show up in someone who feels very, like, a wholeness. I think those things are very binary, and we don't have enough language to express the fullness of a human. Um, but that divine feminine rage can show up for anybody. Um, so I encourage clients to mindfully express their anger and to create rituals. Um, I have one client who, for her going out into the woods and just beating the shit out of uh, a bucket, um, has been helpful for expressing her grief over something horrible that's happening. Um, and the mindful piece is doing that action and then checking in with yourself. Um, it's not about just destroying something, it's about actually letting stuff flow. Um, but as we think about communion, the communion space has been mainly a male-centered image, at least when you picture communion or the Last Supper, it's like that painting um, that you normally see when you think about communion or the Last Supper is like mostly male. So I'm like, what's it look like for the divine feminine to exist there? Um, what's it feel like for that to exist with you? So I wanna take the time that we normally take for communion to let whatever emotion is with you to simply be, you can light a candle, you can take the elements that are back at that table, you can sit in your seat. Um, I talk to clients about honoring the emotions that you're feeling inside yourself first, no matter what action you decide to take with it. So what's it look like to honor your rage here, to honor your anger and your no internally for yourself first? Um, so let's take a few moments together um, and take communion in whatever way you feel like you'd like to.
I want to end with a poem by Erin Johnson from her book, Moon Sign, which is a collection of poems. And Lisa's not here, but Lisa Criswell um, shared them with me. So this is a blackout poem where a new piece of poetry is made from blacking out original texts. So this is called The Queen of Wands. The tongue is a great forest, a spark. The tongue is a fire, set on fire, all kinds of being tamed. Thanks for having me today.